Thanks again to everyone supporting us on the podcast through Patreon. Patreon allows our listeners an opportunity to contribute to the podcast and allow us to bring you great guests and content each week. Thank you to all of our patrons and a special shout out to Jonathan Lambert for being our largest donor. You too can become a patron by visiting patreon.com slash mentors, the number four M-I-L. This podcast is sponsored by Uncana, trusted natural solutions. Uncana is a leading voice of advocacy for CBD in the veteran LEO and federal communities. Veteran owned and operated, the Uncana team is actively fighting for DOD access to CBD with political pressure, community support, and a simple message. Hashtag OpNatural. Uncana is vertically integrated with industry leaders from seed to sell, supplying premium small batch products to America's best. Use code MENTORS, the number four, M-I-L, at checkout at uncana.com to receive your amazing discount. Read the Mentors for Military disclaimer at mentorsformilitary.com slash disclaimer. Mentors for Military Podcast. First off, I want to say once again, Alex, how much we appreciate you coming on the show and, of course, being an avid listener. We were just talking about how it's been going on now for about three and a half years we've been doing this show and um, how we've come such a long way with um, our listener base being so small to rather, you know, now looking at it and worldwide. you know, and, and from all different countries and we're getting feedback all the time and a, a large listener base and we couldn't be more happier where this has gone and all the feedback that you guys give us. So we hope that you guys continue to do that. But once again, Alex, thanks for joining us on the show. We really appreciate it. Yeah, I've, I love the show. So I'm thankful to be on it. I want to dive a little bit like we typically do into a little bit of your background, because I think it'll be really helpful for the listeners. But we're going to get into a topic that I think resonates with a lot of people as we begin to go down through this. And it's something that you posted recently on your Instagram profile. So four years ago, you joined the the Marine Corps. And and when you came in, what was your uh, MOS at that when you first came in? So when when you first go when you don't have an MOS, so then I was – but I was contract radio operator. Gotcha. Yeah. But um, I was trying to go infantry for the – they had a female um, volunteer. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you wanted to go, you could try. And they told me, yeah, well, we'll see your, your PT scores at the end of boot camp, and then we'll send you to either MCT, which is combat training, or we'll send you to uh, ITB, infantry training. And so I did the I did three months. You know, did my pull-ups, did everything that I could possibly have done, and got out. And they said, "Oh yeah, well we closed the female opportunity, so oh. no more volunteer." I mean, they did that to you right there at the end of it. That kind of sucks. I remember that there was uh, even an officer program that was very similar to that. I think that was run at that time, Same time frame. period. Yeah, it was 2015. Okay, was when I went in. And I got out of boot camp really upset about that. <laughs> yeah, I bet you did. 
Yeah. So what did they give the reasons why they decided to no longer allow that program to exist at that time frame? I was just a volunteer. Mm -hmm. So like, even if you passed ITV as a female, like it it didn't really mean anything. You would get the MOS on your MOL. So like you'd have on your file that you went to ITV, but that didn't mean anything. You'd still go back to your, your job. Right. So I actually had a friend who was in that volunteer period. She went, um, went back to her normal job. And then when they opened it for females in 2016, she actually contacted headquarters Marine Corps saying, I want to go do infantry. And she was one of the first 0331s. Okay. So So I was going to ask you, would they send you back through the program again, or would they recognize that program that you did initially? You just answered that question because I was curious about that, you know? Yeah. Um, so in your case, though, you went to, I guess, radio operator school. Yes. Um, that was two and a half months in 29 Palms. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's not a bad place to go. Uh, I mean, the Mojave Desert. Yeah. At, it was like late September, so August through September. Yeah, that was that was really hot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then I, um, I stayed for a follow-on course, which pretty much ruined my entire career having that MOS tied to me. I left uh, 29 Palms in February of 2016. So. What was the uh, the follow-on that you said that you ended up doing? So it's called the Track 170 Operator, and, and basically it's just a large radio system that the Marine Corps hardly uses, and it, it's like Vietnam era. Uh <laughs> And we hardly ever use it. There's a lot of radiation that's involved. Um, we just basically test for it and wait until some sort of issue arises where we have no communications, you know, for other countries. Um, and they just keep us waiting to use it. But it just uses the troposphere to, to communicate. That's basically it. But it can kill you in six minutes, so that's cool. So, I mean, <laughs> you ended up going through this training for this, and how did that end up railroading the rest of your career, though? I mean, what was that special identifier or school that... Yeah, so you have this on your MOS. As your MOS, radio operators like, hardly counts for anything. So they put uh, maybe 11 of us out a year. So we're, we're super rare, is what I was getting at. And if you wanted to go do anything that you want to do, your monitor says, oh, well, you're needed here, so we can't send you. Gotcha. Okay. So it's, it was super bummer. Um, and also, like, I even asked, to, I mean, I'll get into this later, but I even asked to take my first MOS as a radio because, honestly, I love communications. I love radio, but I hated my second MOS so much. Um, but they wouldn't even let me do that. So... Did they make you go and get that extra certification or was that? Yeah. Um, so I tried, trading, okay, they made I tried trading orders. I tried talking to my monitor. I tried everything because I wanted to come out of job. That's it. And when they first gave me that job, I was like, well, is this combative? And they're like, oh, you're probably not going to do anything with it. <laughs> I was like, okay, I got to switch. But they couldn't do that. <laughs> so. I'm always blown away at like how we end up with uh, job skills that you know basically don't do anything or go anywhere except to you know sit behind a desk. I mean, and especially why people railroad uh, certain individuals that are obviously 
ready to do something beyond that type of, you know, scenario. Uh, it, it, it kind of really upsets me. And I, I see a lot of people end up with, you know, the type of feeling that you had where you, you kind of get the shaft or whatever and don't get to go and do what you really uh, were meant to do, honestly, uh, because they want to continue to meet numbers or whatever the the uh, mindset is behind some of the command. Well, you can even breach some of the numbers if you are a true career counselor. So if you think of what a career counselor is, it's typically is the individual you speak to at the time of reenlistment. But I mean, a true career counselor should be like it was, at, say, when you were attending school evaluating all the time the members of their unit and being able to communicate with them on a personal level to find out what the pros and cons, what your strengths and weaknesses are, and help you find what's going to best match your career against the needs of the military branch that you're serving in. But let's face it, we all know, because I was one of those guys, that's not what they end up doing uh, most of the time because they end up spending their time mainly doing stuff for the commanders that relates to Article 15s or talking to people about reenlistments or extensions and those types of things and less about trying to build that personal relationship. Very, very unfortunate. But I agree with you, uh, Eric, in the case of Alex. The perfect example would have been, hey, Alex, I see that you wanted to go down this career path, and unfortunately that didn't occur. But let's see what we can do to make sure that we get you back on the right path. You know, maybe there is a way that we can assign you to a special unit where you get closer to that type of work environment and that those types of activities. I don't know. I'm making something up here, but that's an opportunity. I mean, yeah. And honestly, when they told me that I couldn't go to, um, I mean, I'll just, I'll just say it. I wanted to go to be um, a communicator for Marsoc. So when they told me I couldn't do that, I was like, all right, well, can I do Anglico, can I go to a different unit, someone that actually does something? And it was just, no, no, no. But you can go be a drill instructor if you'd like, or you can go to be a recruiter. No, I don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah. So If you're going to trust a recruiter, you're going to have a bad day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it was, yeah, three times I went to my monitor. Yeah. But when you're in there sitting with them, like, did they ask you, you know, like regarding your qualifications or, you know, Understand. I don't know, like making it more a little bit more personal instead of just like the pressure from the, the, the higher ups that don't really know who you are, you know, and, you, and like what uh, Eric was saying, like and, and Robert just talking about like getting to know the individual to make sure that they're going down the right path, because ultimately you want like the military wants retention and you have been pushing for this. So you're not just going to go in there and and fail you know what i mean like you're gonna do your best to try to have a good career and like make an impact um but i mean when you sat in there with him like was it just one answers like did he give you just one answers or was it like was he absolutely was he helpful was he invested in who you were and like what you could do so the first time i sat down with him which was when i was stationed in japan i had already done a recon screener i'd already like proved myself um i sat down with him and i said because it was like it's kind of like a roadshow where the, your monitor for your job travels around um, all of the bases in America, and then they'll go to Hawaii, they'll go to Japan, they'll go to all the bases. So he sits down, I sit down next to him, and I'm like, he's like, all right, where do you want to go? And I was like, this is what I already wanted. This is what I want to do. I want to go to Marsoc. They've already said yes, we want you. Like I literally had the Master Guns email. Like they all wanted me to be there. And I said, they already want me. Um, I'll choose here, here, and here if that doesn't work out. But I want to go here. 
and they said, uh, no, you're going to um, Miramar, California. And I was like, well, what? <laughs> like, That's everybody... crazy because you, you, you did the legwork. You know, you did, they didn't even need to do anything except stamp the paperwork. Exactly. And it feels like somebody must have gotten butthurt about the fact that you were going to go somewhere that was special. And Honestly, that, that stinks. It was, as simple as, it was as simple as I am a rare on the West and he didn't want to get yelled at. So, so let me help me understand the Marine Corps monitor as you describe it. Is this this MOS specific individual that that manages your specific MOS career field, or is this yeah. okay? Okay, so that that helps a lot. So he's got a. I would think he has to look out for the welfare of that MOS. He has to make sure that it's fulfilled. You have a special identifier, a special skill set that he can't afford to lose because you went through this additional school. So like you said, it was a career um, derailer in a sense yeah. from what you wanted to do. And um, so, yeah, why why would he help you? Yeah, and we've, we've even had a – I had the entire third meth, like the, the higher up. The meth and the mu. <laughs> They literally. You guys and your weird acronyms. That's like, that's like basically all of freaking Asia. They were like, "All right, is there a way that we can get this marine to this command?" And everyone's like, "Yeah, you should be able to." And then, and then they were like, "Oh, well, she's a zero six twenty three. Oh yeah, she's probably not gonna go." <laughs> so no exceptions to policy here. Nobody ever mentioned, "Hey, let's uh, oh, you know." Really? I mean, nope. I, I kind of look at this whole situation as this is a command failure. Now, when we talk about your point, Cad, of retention problems within the military, this is a classic example. And I'm sure there is going to be a ton of listeners uh, of this uh, episode that's going to go, hey, happened to me. It was just a different branch. It was a different MOS, same type of thing. And I think this is part of the reason why, besides poor managers and leaders in the military, this is another example of where we don't try to fit the best needs of the the individual with the best needs of the organization now in the private sector you try to do that as much as you can as a leader i was one of those leaders by the way that people would come to me and they say hey listen you know i'm in this you know job or whatever right now um and this is what i do but i'd love to go over there and learn how to do xyz well, you know what? I'm going to try to help you get there. If that's really where your passion's at and where you want to go, and that's where your career uh, direction is, then I'm going to be a good manager and try to find a way to get you that through on the job experience as much as I can or whatever the case. Now, I, I see you kind of looking, Alex. This doesn't happen, though, always in the military. You know, well, I was going to say, like, honestly, my commands have been amazing. They have pushed for me they have motivated me they my third time going to my monitor um my lieutenant colonel literally had my chain of command sit down with me and the monitor and was like send her and the monitor was like no (laughs) so he has the ability to do that yeah um really he's got his own chain of command so, so he's got an answer to them, and he's just a master sergeant, which is kind of my scale, but not to the yeah less. Well, this is all very interesting, and I think it's um, again it goes back to management leadership. You had the leadership and management, I'm saying, of your individual command, but I'm stating the command and leadership that governs 
these types of decisions. There should be exceptions to policy. There should be commander override that allows individuals who are close to the um, close to you uh, understand your background, understand your capabilities, understand how you're motivated, what makes you tick, and everything else. That have the ability to override these types of situations to get you where you've got to go. I totally get it. If you were the wrong individual, if, if you were not suited for that type of environment that's a very different topic of conversation that we would be having but the fact that you were your whole command was behind it all the way up to the highest level and yet a branch manager and a individual that works for your specific mos uh, can deny it i don't know if this is uh, specific to the marine corps if this is something that's happened in other branches it's been a while since uh you know yeah, I, in some of the other branches, I want to say the Army, we, we have a lot of different override situations. Uh, but still, the the Army doesn't do a really good example of doing that as well because they spend a lot of money in some cases training you to do something very specific. Mm-hmm. Which is- I, I just want to pipe in real quick because this is like boiling my blood. <laughs> because if you think about it, the people that are put in those places, like when they offered you jobs to do, they're like, oh, you can go be a recruiter or you can go be a drill sergeant. You know what I mean? So it's like, anyways. <laughs> right. So it, you think about it too. It's like, what type of individuals are filling in those slots? You know, what have their career looked like? Like what do their, their NCOERs look like? Have they really been invested? Have they actually led soldiers? Have they been on the ground with soldiers and know like what it takes or like what somebody looks like when they're motivated or have these people been like the dodgers of the military who are just like trying to you know make their 20 years and not have to do anything difficult you know what i mean so that's like because i've been in situations too where you know i have invested so much energy into my soldiers and as them as people you know of getting them to where they need to be and all i need is just one signature just like you did like you had your whole command behind you you know what i mean like they were like yes i mean marsock it's not like you're going to freaking dairy queen like marsock said yes we want her like it's marsock they it's said not- they had a spot for me at pendleton yeah, I mean, I mean, you you had laid out the entire plan, yeah. the map, you know, all the different avenues. They didn't have to do shit, and all you, you just like, please just sign this. And you're saying it's some master sergeant, like, man, I would have went and did some investigating. And you're like, dude, who are you to you know to do this to my career? And now what you said, you just got out of the military. Like, you think about like this one guy, it completely changed my life, you mm-hmm. know. And who is he that you're having? To- yeah, like 10, I mean, in retention still, like you said just now, like I'm planning on staying in. And it's same, the same thing with me. Like at the time, like CSTs weren't allowed to go. This is like way before, um, this was back in 2011. So this is before combat arms and all that. And like we asked them too, like, hey, you know, we want to do this again. We want to be in uh, be in a combat MOS and go with these units. And they're like, no, <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, I feel your aggravation. And I know this just isn't, this isn't like a, a sex issue because like you said, like your command had your back and I'm, I'm fairly certain they weren't full of just all females. So yeah, no, they were that's, all males. Uh, that's unfortunate. I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. I, but I, I think what it does lay out is that all of this happened and you decided to get out of the Marine Corps. Didn't you go through some kind of like pre-recon training and uh, school or something? No, I just tried out to be recon. I just did a one one day screener. That's okay. it. Gotcha. But um, yeah. So. And that was designed to basically determine whether or not you'd be effective. 
yeah, so the screener is just meant to be like try out and then we'll get you a recommendation to go to BRPC and then to BRC basic reconnaissance course. So I just, they had um, a bunch of screeners like once a month on my base in Okinawa. Mm -hmm. So I went with my Marine because he wanted to try it. So I went there and then I got inspired and then I tried out and I didn't do so bad. Yeah. (laughs) Well, uh, yeah. I mean, the whole thing here, though, is, um, you know, once again, you had full command support and stuff. So I, I think, you know, when it came time for you to reenlist and your time was up, what what kind of options did they give you at that time frame? Was it still pretty much stay within your MOS and choose these installations or was it? Yeah. You know, so basically my fourth, I said I had tried, tried to go to Marsoc three times. So the story is that I went to. I wanted to do SOC, so I wanted to be a communicator for MARSOC. They said no. Then I said, F it. I'm going to try to go to selection. Then I got injured. Then I wanted SOC again. Then um, they said no again. (laughs) Then I was like, okay, well, I'm ready to go to selection again. I'm not as injured as I was before. I can do this. And I ran out of time on my contract because the Marine Corps is so – you have to have enough time on your contract to go to assessment and selection. Yeah. Um, and I didn't have enough time and my career planner was a piece of work. And so she wouldn't um, extend me because I was too late. I always wonder why they do that to us too, because I, I remember that I had to extend in order to go to SFAS uh, the first time around, like when I, uh, well, not first time around, that was the only time around, but I had to do the same thing. I had to extend in order to go and I'm like, well, I'm going to like reenlist if I make it through this or whatever, like, well, why do you need me to have more time? But I mean, right. I, I'm sure there's some sort of doctrinal thing that they've got to have, but it's odd that they should do that because I'm like, if I make it through this, you're probably going to get to keep me. That which means yeah. you get to keep numbers. Yeah. Well, when you say that you you were extended, Eric, for the period of time that which the training was going to take, right? That's what they ended up. No, doing. I had to like extend an, another year yeah. onto my contract or whatever. So that, but like SFAS was, you know, I think. 24 25 days long because only 21 of it counted back then because it was 21 days of hell as opposed to just 14 yeah okay because i are you know again it's been a while so i don't remember uh the extension periods the minimum extension periods that they have but back in the day there were you know 90 days six months it could be that one year was the minimum yeah yeah and, th- and yeah. then when i made it i had to do the bear contract oh okay yeah, very odd. And each branch is going to be different. There's going to be people listening to this, and they're going to say, "Oh, yeah, there's an opportunity that she could have taken, which is this, yep. or you know, you know." And 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 that's just it too. You know, maybe kind of going back to what Cat was saying, you almost have to be smarter than the average bear when you start uh, going into these types of situations. You got to know the reg better than the individual you're speaking oh, to, yeah. so that you can then go back and go, "No, actually, I can because it's actually you know regulation this chapter this whatever and that's what i'm asking to do and so if you call their bluff and you know it as well or better than they do then you're going to win but it's sad that it reaches that point i I get it you you know and and even in alex's case here you were probably already soured about all this because you've done all the legwork you've been doing every all the due diligence to chit chat with everybody and get all the ducks in a row and then somebody still is like nah don't pass go and don't get your $200 and go to Marsoc. Yeah. And it, it was, 
I was in Yuma for a exercise, um, and I found out that the new monitor was actually my old master sergeant. So I was like, bam, this is my end. I've talked to him about it before he was the monitor. I was like, awesome, I'm going to get to go. And he was, and then I put in my package, and the same thing happened. And I think he, al- he also realized there's numbers, and it got to be like my, my gunnery sergeant who was, who was uh, acting first sergeant was his really good friend and he was calling him by on like by a cell phone every day to be like yo what can we do what can we do and he was like nothing there's nothing we can do and he was like well Marshall has to have enough spots and it just every there was so many different reasons to why I couldn't go first of all it's like first it was my MOS and then then it was I didn't have enough time on Miramar to finish my contract and so i was like all right well i'll wait a year but why is time on station yeah but why is why would time on station have anything to do with it i mean if if you re-enlist if you re-enlist so if you it's so complicated so if you're an okinawa marine so if you go to okinawa you're there for two years and then you train your pcs over to the states if you re-enlist in the states you have to you have like an obligation of 18 months so I was fine to wait that 18 months if they got it on a document that I was going to any of these units that I wanted to go to. Sure. Like, and he, there was, and then he said he couldn't get on a, a contract. He couldn't do it. And I was like, well, why? Because they literally said they, they would write one up. Marshall would write one up. I've got a stupid question to ask you because I remember that there were folks that used to be in this similar type of situation. What they'd do is they'd exit the military. They'd stay out for, you know, six months, 10 months or whatever. And they'd go back. And, of course, the needs of the, the military, typically combat arms, you know, when you're talking Marine Corps and Army especially, are always going to be available. I, I don't know of any time that 11 Bravo was up. You know, the guidance counselor down at the MEP said, you know, unfortunately, 11 Bravo is not open at this moment. You know, that very rarely ever than I ever remember happened. So my question to you is, Alex, can you turn back around? Is that even an opportunity for you? No, unfortunately. Is it? Already, really? Um, I mean, I, I could if I wanted to, but I'm done. I'm going to do the firefighting route. I'm, running, I'm in EMT school right now. So, so but gonna, it, it is an option. It's just that uh, something you yeah. chose not to do. Yeah, and my, my friend who I mentioned earlier, she's, one of the first 0331s, she's definitely, she just got out too. We both had the same same issue, but she got injured. So she wants to get out, get better, and then go back in. Um, she's going to do it. But I I wanted to switch branches. There was a bunch of different, like, opportunities that I was think, like trying to do. And I probably talked to Eric about every single one of them. But mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, I just, so what I I'm got here my, for. when you have your heart set on something, when I have my heart set on something, I'm, I'm going to go for it. And unfortunately, I spent three years trying to get to Marsoc and or something other than what I was doing. And so I'm just I'm just done with people telling me what to do. And I'm going to go get what I want to do. Ultimately, you the the Marines lost. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like they're the ones that lost and like that your talent and your commitment. I mean, just because you, you know, you you've. I don't want to say you've wiped your hands clean of the Marines because I'm, I'm sure you're proud of your service, but um, 
you know, they, they're the ones that lost and now you're moving on to better things, which I think is, uh, incredible. But as, I mean, you have to have a support better system. Suite. Like, yeah. But, but I mean, like even, even making that decision, like, did you have people that were like, that you confided in? I mean, conversations that you had that, like, I'm sure you were going back and forth. Like, I don't know if I should get out. I don't know if I should stay oh, in. Like, it was, it was bad. Like, I <laughs> I was so bittersweet about it, and I was like, no, I'm just going to re-enlist, and, you know, I'll just endure it. Or, And also, like, they said they would send me to MARSOC, but they wouldn't put it on a contract, so they wanted me to re-enlist without that promise. And I was about to just say, F it, let's do it. But That's a hard no. There's another yeah. – one of my bosses actually – well, not one of my bosses, but he was a, a staff sergeant in um at my unit. He – uh had the same issue happen with him where he had a package to go to be a communicator for Marsoc, same thing. And he's now still in his same job field, not even, and he's a staff sergeant. And I was like telling him what I wanted to do. This was all in Yuma <laughs> and sitting in a tent. <laughs> and uh, I told him what I wanted to do. And he was like, yep, that's what I wanted to do. And I told him, well, go do it. And he's like, there's no way. <laughs> And also, there get it just gets to be, you have to be a certain age, certain rank, certain time in service. Like Marine Corps, special forces is tough to get into, because of that reason. Yeah, I I think you know in every situation it's different, but I I think that at some point there needs to be a cutoff, and you know within the military in which they they decide, okay, we've invested enough time, energy, and effort in you. You're at a certain rank. You've spent a number of years within the military, and so therefore, you know, it's more of the needs of us now than the needs of you. I get it. I totally understand it because they've invested a lot of money and time in you. Um, but yet, I think you know if there are opportunities for an individual to be assigned to a unit like that like you were wanting to do i don't understand that if there's an opportunity for um you in which you haven't reached that milestone or that cutoff in time of uh, service or rank or something like that and and you're somebody that's willing and able to go through the selection mind you it's a selection to determine whether or not you can even make it i think it should be available to you and yeah. um, th those are just my personal beliefs. But I think the unfortunate thing that Katz brought out is that we lose good people for poor management and poor leadership. And in this case, it's due to either regulations or some policy of somebody somewhere who has made it so that has also the right and the ability to modify that. But they choose not to right now. Mm -hmm. So all of these rules can all be changed. Everything can be rewritten and modified and it could be still done to the best interest of the military with them taking the lead on it and writing it in such a way where they still win. Right. Because they would have won keeping you in. Mm -hmm. uh, and But in this case here, like Kat said, they lost because they lost a good uh, individual. Uh, they lost a good Marine. And um, now you're going to go on and do other big things, which is great. So I want to get to, you know, through this whole struggle and everything else, you, you made this post about maybe continuing that on and finding courage to be able to, to move forward to whatever your passion is. So in your case, what you're basically stating is stay, stay true to who you are and what you, you want to be, you know, whether that's within the military or whether that's outside. And, and that's how I interpret that. Is that how you kind of seen that when you, when you wrote that? Yeah, and I also, you get different callings 
throughout your life, like before the Marine Corps, I was a ballet dancer. I did that for 19 years. Um, I was pre-professional, tried to get a job, didn't work out. Went to winemaking school in Napa, <laughs> and then I joined the Marine Corps. And you, you, there's different stages of your life. You have different callings, and if you get that calling, you need to follow it. And that's how I was. What I was saying, and yeah, you well, we've have to gone back it. and forth on this with what you've gone through and endured. And I think this is going to be right up your alley. And I think uh, you're entering into a perfect time. I mean, uh, you get to help be if you if you think about it, and if you if you look at it uh, from a mentor's standpoint, you get to be one of those uh, ladies that's helping blaze the trail for others uh, in uh, you know the firefighting EMTs uh, career field. Not that there isn't already some, but I mean. Uh, you've got quite a good following that you can you get to share that experience because of the technology that we have and then the heart and the will that you have behind you. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to add on to that because I was thinking, you know, especially in that field um, with emergency services and firefighters, like a lot of those guys and gals that have been there, you know, they're run, ran through the ringer and they're burnout. So I think having somebody who, you know, you have the tenacity and the drive to, you know, you've overcome so much already as far as like going down different paths and trying to find yourself, but, you know, to continue that momentum and bring it to that field, because a lot of times you'll see, you know, and I'm sure like we've all seen it. Um, and and I had gone through the EMT course and I had worked on, um, an ambulance with, for the fire department. And I, you know, you just see these guys that have been there for 20, 30 years and they're just like, Yep. run down and they create that environment you know what i mean so it's like you coming in there and bringing this motivation and and you know youth and liveliness to it is gonna like you're gonna make such an impact not only with the station and with the truck that you're on but like the pa your clients like the patients that you're gonna you know be with so right. um I if do. i could offer any suggestion do not let that atmosphere burn your light please don't because it I, I just, it is a, a wonderful field, but, you know, if you're surrounded by so much, like, drowningness and negativity, it could just, like, you're like, oh, I have to I'm say it to be like you guys, you know? <laughs> I mean, right. keep fighting. Like, fight the good fight and tell, the, like, tell those, those naysayers to eat. <laughs> so. If you feel like poopy face, kill cat and she'll kick your butt. Yeah. <laughs> no. We all know I'm probably going to vent to you, Eric. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I'll be your virtual shoulder to cry on. <laughs> and then I'll also kick in the fourth point of contact and tell you to get after it. Yeah. There are so yeah. many advances that have been made within the medical field and those that have happened, uh, advances that have occurred out here in the private sector that's carried into the military and vice versa. And I think at any time, um, it's right now where the, the medical profession and the EMT specifically and medics and the active duty have so much to share with one another. So, um, you know, especially if you'd have had that career field within the military and you were bringing it out, but just your military experience and understanding of things and stuff may provide some also, I don't know, levels of discipline. Your soft skills that you have that you've gained from the military will be able to transfer rather easily within 
you know, um, city governments and your understanding of how they work and those types of things will also be the same. So yeah. I, I, to me, I think it's a great career field for a lot of individuals to start in. I know another one that Eric and I have talked about often is uh, project management, you know, because it's another field that a lot of individuals can just go right into because, you know, a lot of military have a very structured environment and they, they understand um, certain projects and initiatives and timelines and stuff that they have to achieve. In those cases and stuff, you know, project management ends up being a good field. EMT, project management, great segue fields for those transitioning individuals. Absolutely. Yeah. My teacher, I mean, like she gave me, because I was, I'm not going to lie, like my, the last test that I did, uh, anatomy and physiology was not cool because I'm in an expedited class. So it's like 18 weeks when, I'm sorry, it's eight weeks long when it should be like 16 or 18 weeks. So Day five is actually like week five, and I'm like, okay, I haven't. Can had I get an extra serving of fire hose? <laughs> yeah, and so I was just talking to my teacher, and she's like all about the military, and like was she was like, wait, well, first of all, you might not be good at testing, but you're gonna be great in the field. And I'm like, okay, well, as long as I pass this class. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But so, what's kind of uh, some of your career goals that you now have that you've set forth here on the outside? I mean, you haven't been out that long. I, you've just went on a, a nice vacation uh, to Italy oh, yeah. and everything. So, you've had a chance to maybe decompress and refine, you know, determine who Alex is now in the private sector. That's a different person than who Alex was in the military and the Marine Corps, especially. Oh, it's so so yeah. different. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So how has that transition been? And, and uh, you know, where do you see yourself kind of heading now in this direction of new EMT and, and firefighting? Well, I mean, I'm not going to lie. The, the first maybe three weeks of being on terminal leave, I got up at five in a panic that I had to be at work at <laughs> in a half hour. And I was like, damn it. <laughs> um, but other than that, like it was it was a great trip. Really, um, my boyfriend and I just decided to put away our phones and get literally lost in Venice and Italy and um, went and saw my family in England because I'm the, except for my parents, I'm the only family member in America. So that was Those nice pictures looked awesome, by the way. Yeah, it was, it was great. And I haven't been able to see them in years because I had to go to Korea instead of my godson's <laughs> baptism. <laughs> I'm not complaining. Um, but uh, the transition's been pretty easy um i'm not moving back home or anything i've stayed in uh, i live i'm living in imperial beach right now with my boyfriend and um he's pretty familiar with the fire um, departments around here just because he's friends with people and yeah i've just been focused 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 honestly just getting crazy in the gym and <laughs> trying to keep up my strength and stamina and everything because i know that um, this eight weeks is going to come around the corner and next thing you know, I'm going to be looking for a job. So every fire department around Coronado and Peel beach, like they're, they all want you to actually know they all require you to be a paramedic. And I also, I think I'd like to be one just so I don't have as many barriers. Um, and I can actually help more, but, um, right now I'm just going to do EMT and then apply for a fire department try to get hired and then hopefully they can send me to a paramedic school and save my GI bill <laughs> um I'd like to stay down here but I have no preferences like I would anywhere up up the coast 
So, Are you gonna, going back to uh, to college or anything? You're going to be going on getting your degree and using your GI Bill. Is that kind of the plan, or just going to uh, right now fill out the we'll EMT? See. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Um, I'd like to save that for my future kids, or I'll use it for paramedic school. <laughs> right. How, lo- how long have you been out? Uh, May 10th. Oh wow! Yeah, so you're just you're just an infant through the transition. <laughs> so I knew that if I waited to go to EMT school, I would have, I wouldn't say like been lackadaisical, but I would have not as, I need to get on my grind. <laughs> yeah, wow. you cherry newbie DD214 holder. <laughs> oh, I'm in that club too. Yeah, that's the same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got out at the same time. Pretty much. I think it's, you know, really good that you've actually stuck um, with what you're talking about doing now and you're you're building a plan and and you've actually uh, through this whole transition and everything, or I should say I'm talking transition from being a Marine all the way through your whole life cycle there into now the transition into civilian life. You've stuck with specific goals. You've um, stood by them. And like I said, you've not created any type of or not let barriers stand in your way. And I think the same thing is true in the EMT world. There's a ton of different opportunities that you're headed into that you go into uh, in specialized fields and stuff and um, really make a huge difference out there. I I think it's going to be tremendous for you. And I think, you know, what you've, you've tried to state here all along is that you've just got to put your head down and keep marching forward. And it sounds like that's what you're continuing to do. Yeah. And I think uh, a lot of, I mean, I was going to say females, but honestly, everyone in the Marines, they, they join, they have such a, they, they want to do something good and they want to use their service for, they want, they want to reach their goals and then they get in, they see what people are telling them what to do. They, they lose sight of what they want. And then they're just like, oh, I'm just going to do four years or, oh, this isn't for me. Well, this would be for you if you were where you want to be. So, I mean, if, if anyone is listening that, you know, wants the advice, I would just say to like, don't let anyone tell you no. And even if they do say no in the long run, maybe after your four years, at least you can say that you tried your best. I I think it's really good advice because I, I think that too often, like you said, people end up getting discouraged. They, they see the surface, they don't dig in, they don't ask the right questions. They don't become educated and informed and they allow others to kind of dictate their direction of where they're going to go. And like I used to tell my people, either you help define your role and your purpose within this organization or somebody's going to do it for you. Exactly. And it's the same way within the military. And so many people think that they have to live within a certain structured environment and do with the Marine Corps or the Army or the Air Force or whatever. Yeah, there's to some extent that is the case, but there are ways in which you can maneuver through it. I think you just ran into a particular unique roadblock situation. Mm-hmm. But I do hope that, you know, the people that are listening who may have had similar situations, there's got to be ways that we can create a way in which there's a, a, a exception to policy or um, a way to evaluate that at a command level of people who truly know who you are and what you're about. Mm-hmm. And, and just I, from what I like, what I'm seeing on your transition and stuff, like you from entering the Marines all the way to where you're at now, like you didn't lose sight of your core, like who you are as an individual, you know, and a lot of people, um, they conform to the military, you know, so that's why they have such a difficult time 
you know, pressing people for what they want because they've been told to do like, you will do this and you will do what I tell you and no questions asked. You know what I mean? But you like you push the limit four times, you know, so that's that says a lot about who you are as a person. And I think that, too, is going to be beneficial in your transition out. You know, you already have your feet to the ground moving on to the next thing. But, you know, a lot of guys and gals who get out, you know, they hit that 90 day mark, the 120 mark where they're like, man, I'm really starting to feel you know, I miss the military, I miss the camaraderie, I'm starting to feel depressed, I'm starting to feel like isolated. And, you know, and they go down this dark path. But I think you make a really good point of just like, staying true to who you are as an individual will help. Like, that's what people need to find. I mean, you didn't have to because you were you didn't let the Marines bully you around. But like, a lot of people do. And I think that that's what a big issue is. And like Robert said, like, if the if the military were to focus on the individual and allow them to have a say in their life and who they are and who they want to be. I think that, you know, that the sense of purpose could pass on after they get out of the military. Right. So, yeah, I think I, you, a lot of people could learn a lot from you just being you, who you are as an individual, not from Thanks. like your experiences are awesome too. But I mean, like, like that's what people need. I think they can learn a lot from that. Well, I know people are going to be listening to this maybe at high levels within the military and say, if only it was that easy that we could do what you just said, Kat. And I get it. There's going to be needs of the military. There's going to be, you know, specific needs of installations or whatever. They have a specific career filled individual to fill the void and the niche that's there. But for one moment, what we're asking is, hey, it'd be nice if you could sit down and listen to the individual and go, you know what? I can make an exception this time. I can find another Johnny Susie or whatever to fill that hole. But right now, let's keep Alex moving in the right direction. I've got a motivated individual, a good soldier, soldier, airman, sailor, marine or whatever sitting in front of me that wants to be able to spend a career within the military and give back as a manager or a leader of what we've trained them to do. Why am I going to derail that right now and either have, you know, an individual that's basically a, a slug that's out there in my unit that's performing their job to the minimal, right? Mm-hmm. And it's worthless as a non-commissioned officer and it's passing on those same bad habits to their subordinates. Or I could have someone like you that's highly motivated that goes out here and does great things. And the only thing I had to do is I couldn't put you in MARSOC. But I could at least attach you or put you with a unit, maybe in recon or something like that, where it put you close enough to what you're wanting to do that might have satisfied that itch enough that you would have stayed on and actually motivated and led other individuals. Yeah. Well said. <laughs> <laughs> Robert always articulates again. eloquently. Yes. <laughs> well, again, it's about good management and leadership. And everything I just said, by the way, applies to the private sector because I think it falls on individual managers and leaders out there to do much of the same thing too often they go through the um, the rituals of whatever it may be whether it's 90 day six month or one year reviews and they never really sit down and find out what the individual wants to do you know and again one of the first things i used to do as as a manager of my staff is to say listen i'm going to say something that you've probably never heard alex you may not want to be in finance So what I want you to do is take some time to really think about this question of what I'm going to ask you is where's your passion? And if it turns out to be not in finance, but it's somewhere else like communications, marketing, you know, or something like that, I need you to come to me and be honest with me because I'm going to help you get where you need to go because I'd rather retain you within this organization because you're good 
at what you do. I see how you interact and how you lead others and manage others. I'd rather retain you here and I'm going to find how I can do that and best utilize your talents. I did that time and time again. I'm very unique in that way, though, because I can tell you my peers didn't always go about doing that. What they did is tried to motivate themselves and lift themselves up in a way by bringing people around them that can get them promoted. That's a different style of manager and leader. I wanted to help you. And and that's um, that's I think what was missing here is that you may have had some people along the way that wanted to help you, but they didn't have the power to do that. And the end of it. Yeah. And the individual that did have the power felt like they either couldn't do an exception of policy or regulations that are currently existing wouldn't allow it. I don't know which that case is because I'm not familiar with the Marine Corps. You know, yeah, no, it's spot on. And I think that if I was to do I mean, this, the problem with my enlistment would have been completely different if I if I joined now because there's no like female volunteer thing or anything, uh, anything like that. But definitely different now. Yeah. But well, I wish you that you would have had a different experience, honestly, Alex, that you would have gotten out, taken the decompression period and said, you know what, I'm not going to let no stand in my way again. I'm going to now do it and I'm going to go back in the core and stuff. But you've got to live your life the way you want to do it. But for the course purpose and for the people that are there, I think that that's where they missed out, because if nothing else, I would have hoped as a non-commissioned officer and stuff that, damn, I lost Alex. I lost a good Marine. Um, but what I do hope is that she comes back after she figures everything out and she uses the system in a different way because you can beat the system. Yeah, I could definitely beat the system now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I'm not trying to change your mind. I'm not trying to give you yeah. career advice. I think what you've got to do is do the soul searching that you've done right now. And you found a totally new di- a career direction that you can motivate yourself and sink yourself into. And I'm glad that you found something that you seem so passionate about rather than some people who only are looking for the almighty dollar, if they didn't do a lot of research before getting out in the transition, all of a sudden they got all these bills oh, yeah. hitting them. Yeah. And, and they, they take the first opportunity that's there where they can utilize their military skills. And they're yeah. right back to being that slug on active duty that went into an MOS that got frustrated or those individuals that can't ran into that are burnt out because they, they mold right into that because they're like, well, I didn't really want to be here. I got my EMT uh, because it was an easy route. I had a station that was willing to send me to school, pays my bills. It's a job. And that's what they think is good enough for them right now. Yeah. yeah. And I'm definitely going to use this to propel myself to we'll see yeah yeah the sky's the limit (laughs) well and i hope that we continue following you and you tell us what that is uh as you go on throughout this whole thing and i know you're going to post about it in um, your social media (laughs) accounts and stuff and i think that's important and i love the fact that you give back in that way by the way and that you know some people use social media in different ways but the fact that you're trying to share your story so that others may hear what you've done the challenges you've gone through and you know, learn from that themselves or go, okay, yeah, I seen what happened here. Here's a real opportunity now where I can maybe make a difference in a different way based on what Alex just did or what she said. I I appreciate you doing those types of things. Yeah. Because I I couldn't do something doesn't mean someone couldn't now. And if they want to do the route that I wanted, then I could help them get to it. Basically that's, that's how I use it. But yeah, most definitely. I like, yeah, that's how I like, that's why I like social media. <laughs> Thank you for sharing your story and um, 
And I, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what you're going to do with the fire department because they're going to have a rude awakening. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't wait. <laughs> well, thanks again for coming on to join us, Alex. Appreciate of it. Of course. Thanks for having me. 